like to welcome you to another episode of Money Matters Top Tips for Success, where each and every day I bring on new business owners, entrepreneurs, and executives and have them share their top tips for success with you. My name is Adam Torres. You can follow me on Instagram at Ask Adam Torres to keep up with my book releases, book tour schedule, signings, all that other good stuff. Um, always love to connect with you there. And as always, if you'd like to apply to become a co-author of one of my upcoming books, just head on over to the website, moneymatterstoptips.com, and click on Become an Author to Apply. All right, so today I have Vivian Cheng on the line, and she is a senior associate over at Javelin Venture Partners. Uh, Vivian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So I'm excited to get more into what you're doing over at Javelin Venture Partners and uh, how you're helping your clients and what kind of projects you work on. But before we do that, let's get a little bit more into your background. So how did you get started in your career and in business? Yeah, so, you know, I was born and grew up in L.A., went to school at USC. Um, after I graduated, spent my first year working in leveraged finance at GE Capital, but really was in San Francisco and just fell in love with the technology industry um, really wanted to get more involved um, in the startup space. And so uh, in early 2013, um, applied for a job at Uber when it was still a black cab company um, and was fortunate enough to be given a shot to be basically the second hire on the finance team. Uh, so I joined in May of 2013 um, and stayed from 2013 to 2017. Um, so spent four years there as an operator. I initially focused on you know, mobile operations and finance, um, eventually uh, moving on over to the payment side, so figuring out, you know, the best way to pay drivers and collect money from riders all around the world. Um, it was very much a job where it required you to wear multiple hats, so I feel like my role was constantly changing. I was always being given new projects. I loved that. It really fit my personality, um, being able to learn new things constantly and being able to see how, you know, my work had a very measurable impact. Um, come, you know, four years later, I uh, on the, was still on the payments team, but there weren't as many countries to launch into, um, you know, and most of this, most of my work had become more about other than figuring out new um, processes or new ways to launch into a country. And so um, on the side, I had actually started investing a little bit on my own. I've always had a big interest in um, public markets and equity investing. Um, at my last year at Uber, I was fortunate enough to start investing in the private markets a little bit on my own. And so, you know, I first started out by um, buying up secondary shares on exchanges um, in pre-IPO companies. I think the thought there was initially to sort of diversify um, my Uber equity and just really fell in love with the process of understanding how to look at a company, um, forming an investment thesis, doing due diligence, um, looking more into different spaces. Um, as I started doing this, um, I eventually began to start investing earlier and earlier, um, first through other platforms and other syndicates like AngelList and Funders Club. Um, eventually, I started doing some direct investing on my own. Uh, again, just really fell in love with this. It was so exciting. I think especially just enjoyed the aspect of early stage investing and helping the entrepreneur. Um, and I really wanted to parlay this into a career. Um, so, you know, it's 2017 now. Um, I was fortunate enough to get connected to um, and Bobby Azdani, who is, uh, was a very early investor at Uber, um, and he had started a venture fund called Coda Capital. 
So in 2017, I headed over there. Uh, CODA was a stage agnostic fund, so it actually fit pretty perfectly with, at the time, what my skill sets were, which is investing in both public equities, um, pre-IPO companies, growth stage, and early stage companies. It was truly, truly a stage agnostic fund. Um, and I learned so much there. I basically uh, sourced two of our investments there, one called Dark Store, another called Polar. Um, both, one is in, you know, the future of retail and infrastructure, basically the ability to offer brands uh, same-day delivery. Um, and then Polar was a Series A deal that um, basically was allowing companies and individuals and developers to use their building blocks um, for computer vision and AI. Um, and so, again, um, had a great exposure to a number of different sectors. I was also involved with a couple of our investments in other companies. Um, this includes Bossanova Robotics. Uh, these are the robots that are in Walmart today. Um, I think they're in, you know, two to 300 stores, um, as well as a couple of other ones like Brandable, Current, Blueprint Genetics, and more. Um, during my time at CODA, um, I refined my investment thesis a little bit more and actually just found that I really loved early stage investing. I'd kind of gotten a hint of this before, um, but wanted to really double down and focus my efforts in the Series Seed and A space, um, whereas CODA was more of a Series A growth and public equities fund. And so um, I actually ended up join joining Javelin Venture Partners about five months ago. Um, that's where I am today, and it's a perfect fit for me. It's a generalist, early-stage fund, very entrepreneur-friendly, um, primarily leading Series C and A rounds in startups across all sectors. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit of my background, and happy to dive into anything. You know, you might have some more questions about. So, you know, there's some younger um, audience listening that maybe they're a couple years out of college, and they're kind of getting their feet wet in the finance space. Um, what kind of uh, advice would you give them in the kind of progressing their career? Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I feel like these days there's so much available to do and to um, kind of advance your career, uh, no matter where you are, whether you're in college, um, whether you're early in your career. Uh, my biggest advice is to just always be seeking new experiences until you're able to figure out what it is that you truly want to do. Um, and so one advice is obviously, you know, while you're in school, I felt like I did a lot of internships that felt very formative to where I would eventually take my career. Um, and it just kind of helped me learn what I liked and what I didn't like. Uh, the second piece of advice that I have is to not be afraid to network and to reach out to people um, in the sectors that you want to learn more about or you just want to um, you know, expand your career in. Um, a good example of this is uh, I find that a good cold reach out can be very effective or to get somebody to introduce you um, and never be afraid of rejection. I think like it, in some ways it is a numbers game where, uh, where you get that one or two um, very meaningful responses that can really reshape the course of your career. Um, for me, you know, I reached out to Uber cold while I was looking for a new role and like that really drastically changed my career trajectory. Um, so again, I think it's not being afraid to reach out and seek advice. I think people, especially in Silicon Valley, um, are much more giving and friendly than you would imagine. Um, I think because so many people here, their careers have been shaped by others and their kindnesses and, you know, other people helping them. Um, 
in my opinion, you know, going through that cold reach out can be very, very effective and people are often more supportive um, than you would imagine. Uh, so yeah, that's the advice I would have is, you know, one, don't be afraid to seek out others and two, to have a wide, as wide a range of experiences as possible early on so that you can figure out what it is that you really want to do. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing over at uh, Javelin Venture Partners. So what kind of projects do you typically work on? Yeah, so, you know, we primarily look for um, invest, investing into series seed and A tech startups and companies. Um, you know, our general check sizes really range from one to six million for a lead size check. And we're operating, you know, out of a fourth fund of 125 million. Um, we're generalist investors, so we invest across every sector. Uh, I personally have a lot of interest and continue to in consumer marketplace businesses, B2B marketplaces, um, fintech, kind of given the payments background at Uber, um, as well as future retail and e-commerce. Um, a big part, a big space that I've been looking into recently is in retail infrastructure. So kind of with the proliferation of direct-to-consumer and e-commerce brands, there needs to be that corresponding infrastructure to support their growth. Um, that's a space I've been very interested in. And the last being digital health and anything consumer-facing when it comes to healthcare. Um, it's also been another interest of mine, um, given sort of how old the tech, the healthcare industry is and how unfriendly the user experience can be. Um, I think verticalized digital health solutions uh, continue to be an interest of mine. So what my day-to-day -day really consists of, you know, I'm a senior associate. Um, I help support three partners at Javelin. Um, Everybody at Javelin is a former op operator or a former entrepreneur. And what we do is I look for and try to meet as many interesting companies and entrepreneurs as possible um, in kind of the spaces that I just mentioned. Um, again, we're generalists, so we do talk to pretty much every sector. Um, but really just to get a sense of what is interesting and new out there. And if I find something that is really compelling and sort of fits our investment criteria of being a Series C or A company, um, you know, my job is to bring that entrepreneur in to meet the whole team, um, conduct due diligence in that industry, that sector, and the company, um, looking at early metrics and traction that they might have, looking at the entrepreneur's background. Um, you know, there's a number of things I you know, have templatized and used to evaluate early stage startups, um, go through the diligence process. And then, you know, if it all works out, um, make an investment in that company. Um, I would say that a large part of my day-to-day -day is actually in, and, and the fund itself, is not just looking for and sourcing new investments, which is a huge criteria. The second piece is to really just support our existing portfolio. Um, again, everybody has a very deep bench of operational experience, um, and that can range, you know, from helping to recruit. Um, I've, you know, gone out to personally recruit or talk to executives that are being hired for our portfolio companies. Um, it can range from something as simple as that to something as complex as strategic or operational planning. Um, it's really just being a sounding board for the entrepreneur and their business. So the day day is pretty varied. It's, again, a mix of just sourcing, um, networking, meeting new companies, doing due diligence and supporting the existing portfolio. Um, another component of it is really just being as educated as I can 
um, on all the new tech and new spaces out there. Um, any interesting trends you're noticing in your particular um, areas and or uh, spaces of interest, like healthcare or, or fintech, or just any trends you care to talk about? Yeah, um, there's a couple that I'm happy to touch on. I think, you know, two of the big ones for me, I'll start out with the first one, which is really sort of just the unbundling of retail. And we've seen this with the proliferation of direct-to-consumer startups really just slowly eating away market share at a lot of the big incumbents. So we've seen a lot of different trends that, you know, older companies have just not been able to innovate as quickly and catch up on. For example, some of this includes trends in um, natural foods and wellness. So like foods that are specifically geared towards the healthy and like wellness conscious consumer, and that can be keto, you know, paleo, um, sugar-free snacks and foods, um, and we've just been able to see, like, all of these brands have been able to build pretty big businesses um, while taking market share away from older players. Um, and so a big thesis of mine is that these, these brands will need a lot of tools to support their growth, and that can be in marketing, that can be even in something as in shipping and infrastructure, so one of the investments that I had made when I was at Coda is in a company called Dark Store. And what they do is they provide um, brands, both direct-to-consumer and enterprise, um, so some of their clients include Nike, uh, they basically help these brands um, compete against larger players like Amazon uh, by offering an Amazon-like experience but while being in control of their own data. And so... For example, um, they provide Nike one-hour delivery in multiple regions on a bunch of popular styles, meaning at the press of a button, you can get shoes delivered to you or a mattress delivered to you. They have a number of brands on their profile um, and, and delivered to you in less than an hour, which is a very, very you know, compelling consumer value proposition. It's just like a very magical experience to get something you order delivered same day. And, you know, as Amazon continues to outcompete, um, brands who want to stay in control of their own data and not provide Amazon a hefty, you know, fee um, and want to keep in control of their own data will have to adopt to this kind of infrastructure to be able to effectively provide the same magical experience. Um, and then they can focus on building their own brand and control their own data. And so anything supporting the growth of direct-to-consumer brands um, on, on the B2B side is extremely interesting to me. Um, so that's a trend that I've noticed, uh, and, you know, huge companies have been built on top of this. Uh, some of these include, you know, companies like Lumi, which is packaging as a service, or um, Happy Returns, which is returns as a service, all of these services that can support brands um, on the infrastructure side. Uh, the second trend that I've noticed in both the healthcare and fintech um, industries, this one is a massive opportunity. You know, these markets are billions, if not trillions large, and um, both of them have not had innovation in many, many, many decades. And so you're seeing industries that were once very highly regulated. Um, startups are starting to take point solutions, enter into the space, really just out-compete you know, either the bank or this healthcare service, um, provide a very consumer-friendly interface um, and ease of experience. You know, who likes going to a bank branch? Who likes going to a hospital? The technology is able to democratize access and provide a very user-friendly 
experience to the consumer, um, even if it's just a small point solution at first, you can eventually expand and start taking over um, other aspects, especially as things start to become a little bit more, um, you know, as regulations start to ease up a little bit. Um, so we've seen this a lot in fintech. Um, you've seen the rise of neobanks like Monzo and Revolut. Um, you've also seen the rise of point solutions, uh, you know, personal financial management apps um, that are eventually starting to become more like a bank. And so you start out with one thing that you're really good at and then eventually expand and then you start competing and you're actually competing with the massive incumbents. And again, I think this is just a huge opportunity that's out there. On the healthcare side, we're seeing a lot of verticalized solutions and consumers are just resonating with it so much because the experience on the consumer side has just been so awful. And so you see um, clinics, physical clinics like One Medical and um, Forward Health just really taking off. On the other hand, you also have digitally treated solutions and telemedicine solutions also really taking off. Um, one company that I'm particularly excited about is one called Scanwell Health. Um, you know, a massive number of women suffer from UTIs every year. Uh, this is a company that lets you get treated from the comfort of your own home and safely diagnosed with your smartphone, and it's the first of its kind to be FDA-approved. And so when I see new innovations like this that really unlock access for a consumer that just has a really terrible experience with the healthcare system, you know, nobody wants to go get a UTI test, go to the doctor's office, and then go to a, uh, you know, Quest Labs to get tested. It's just a really horrible process. And at some physical care locations, you can't even get an appointment until days later. And so, you know, I think telemedicine and improving the consumer experience are both big trends in healthcare right now. And so those are the ones that I'm particularly excited about at the moment. That's awesome. Uh, so Vivian, if somebody wants more information on Javelin Venture Partners or to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get it? Yeah, the best way is to check us out on our website. So that's javelinvp.com, J-A-V-E-L-I-N-V-P.com. And, um, you know, a lot of my personal contact information, my LinkedIn, my email is on there. So it's probably the best way to get in touch. All right. Fantastic. Well, hey, Vivian, I really appreciate you coming on the show and telling us more about your background and some of the interesting industry trends you see and all the great work you're doing over at Javelin Venture Partners. Um, to the audience, I hope you got a lot of value out of this. If you did, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, leave me a review, do all those great things we do to support our podcasters. I really do appreciate it. And uh, Vivian, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. This is awesome. 